Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We'll start there in verses 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 21, the very end of your Bible, the back of your Bible. Chapter 22 is the last chapter. 21 is right before that. And we'll start in verse 1. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Lord, would you use this time to draw us to reality of what eternity looks like? Heaven is real. And may it be something that is motivating to us, encouraging to us, and give us hope in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. You ought to mark that. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the way it was supposed to be. That was what creation was all about. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And as he said, he also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Does heaven sound good to you? Sadly, for most people in our world, it doesn't. <laughs> Mark Twain was said to have said, you know how it goes, everybody quotes him, but did he really say it? I think so. <coughs> Mark Twain loved the, the sunsets here in Muscatine, said some neat things about that. But Mark Twain was said to have said, when somebody was describing heaven, remarked flippantly, you take heaven, I'd rather go to Bermuda. That seemed a little bit more real to him. Now, he wasn't all that far off because that's what seemed to be the best possible thing to his imagination, something that he could understand, a place. But yet he missed the point. Sadly, many professing Christians, uh, believers, have, have fallen into that same trap. And we don't even think about it very much. And if we do, it sounds kind of boring. They're no longer anticipating heaven. And so they live without a motivating hope, without an anticipation of something better. True believers have a natural longing for a literal heaven stirring within our souls. Do you have that? The promise of heaven motivates us to turn from sin at each temptation. And the more we set our minds on things above, the less the fleshly desires stir us. We'll understand the value and urgency of serving our Christ now in this eternal kingdom. Knowing what we do now makes a difference for all eternity. Most of us, most of all, excuse me, most of all, we'll be passionate about seeing Jesus face to face, just as we were singing, and worshiping Christ in all his glory. So here's my prayer and my passion today. My prayer is to rekindle a passion for Christ in you <clears throat> by igniting the fires of anticipation of heaven, the glory which awaits us with him in his presence. 
It will be worth it all. So we read Joni's story, this awesome, super fantastic forever party. Uh, I have so much respect for her, somebody that you would think would be able to have an excuse for living life complaining, as a quadriplegic and, or, and not having all the pleasures and, and opportunities that so many others have, yet she's chosen to look to heaven and to rejoice in it. And she's written other books about it, but this is her most recent book about heaven, and it's written to children. The Awesome Super Fantastic Forever Party. I love this book, and I hope that you'll get it as well and read it to your children and grandchildren. This all started last Christmas. Uh, my wife bought this particular book uh, for all the grandkids. And at Christmas time, we were sitting around, and all the kids were piled up, uh, piled up on the couch, and we were reading through this book together. <clears throat> and we had a lot of fun with it. And they took it home. And my, grand, my grandsons in, in um, New Hampshire, uh, at nighttime, when, when their dad would be reading to them, he'd say, what books do you want to read? They would always bring this out. This super awesome, super fantastic forever party was their favorite book, and they wanted to read it every night. And I'm thinking, there's a lesson in that for all of us. We all ought to be excited about reading about this home we have in heaven, and it should be something that motivates us. It should be our favorite book. Her book is based on Revelation 19 through 21. <clears throat> so that's the text we're studying, all four of these chapters. And we won't be able to get all of it covered, obviously, in the few minutes that we have. But I'd like to take a few minutes to consider several motivating observations, an overview, these observations from these chapters, Revelation 19 through 22, for us to contemplate, to be thinking about, to be enjoying the promise of heaven. Again, I wish I had more time to delve into each verse and these chapters and each theme, but we're going to narrow our focus to what believers will experience and can anticipate that we can come to know for real. The first is this. This party is planned, all right? It was planned a long time ago. In Revelation chapter 19, if you'll turn back to Revelation 19, in verse 7, we read the marriage of the Lamb has come. So this multitude in heaven, they're crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God, and, and for his judgments are true and just. And they're singing hallelujah, and the smoke from, from her goes up forever and ever. <coughs> Excuse me. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they're praising God, and they're, 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 they're saying everybody needs to be fearing him, small and great. And then we heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like a roar of many waters. And they're singing, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And then verse 7, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That indicates that it was planned. They were planning for it, and it's finally arrived. And His bride has made herself ready. The day we planned for is finally here. A few weeks ago, Allison and Sean had their long-awaited day, their wedding day, and it was awesome. And I want to guarantee you that there was some intense planning that went into that. All the, the reception planning, everything had to be, all the decorations, the 
the dress, all the music. We even had a rehearsal, and then it was a rehearsal that went on forever, uh, but we got it all done, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. As we were getting ready for the actual ceremony, I was standing in the back hallway. Sean had several responsibilities to bring his parents and his grandparents and, and, and Gail as well and, and brought him forward. And then he ran all the way to the back of the, the auditorium and then, well, he didn't run, but he, he looked pretty sharp about it. And then he came all the way back around and he's walking towards me. And it was just him and me in the hallway. And he had this huge smile and he's walking up and without any hesitation he's heading for the door and he said let's do this he was so excited it had finally come did you know that's what he did it was so good there's a jewish context to be considered here Uh, in jewish customs there were three parts to a wedding actually four when you consider the the actual outcome. The first part of it is the betrothal, or what we know of as an engagement. And this involved the families agreeing together and pledging the two young people to one another. A whole lot different than our context. Everybody just, you know, it was just a different world. But in the Jewish context, this is how it happened. Families chose who their children would marry. And there was a binding contract, and it was signed, and it was settled, and it was, it was guaranteed. Then there was a period when the couple did not see each other. They did not come together physically at all during this engagement or this betrothal. Quite a season, many months that they would not be together. But there was some preparation that had to be done. The engagement was followed by an event called the presentation. The presentation. And this presentation usually occurred, occurred much later, as I mentioned, when, and the bridegroom would be accompanied by his male friends, all his buddies, and they would come to the house of the bride. And it was usually at night, and he and his friends, his companions, would, with a, would come with a great torchlight parade through the streets. We're coming. And then the presentation was when the bride was brought out and presented. And then there was usually a week, seven days of feasting. Hang on to that. Seven days of feasting. And at the end of the seventh day, there was a big wedding ceremony, the big event. So you have the, the betrothal, the presentation, And then you have the ceremony. And this is a big deal. We'll read about that. And after the ceremony was over, they had life together. Life together. Dwelling (coughs) together. So this betrothal that we're addressing here in Revelation took place in eternity past. God the Father pledged to give to the Son a redeemed humanity that He would choose. And there was a promise made. There was a promise made. And Jesus kept His promise. There's a period of time that follows. So far, it's been 2,000 years 
since Jesus came the first time, plus. There's a time period. But then there's a presentation. The presentation occurs at at the rapture of the church. We read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word of our rapture. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This presentation. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And for seven years, there will be a wonderful feast in heaven. There's some other things going on here on earth called the tribulation. You think about it, study Daniel's seventh, 70th week. And at the, the presentation, after the presentation period, the ceremony takes place, the wedding, and it's a great celebrate, celebration. There's this great feast, and there's this bride and the groom, and they're joined together. And then it's followed by life together with Christ, eternal life together dwelling in a home prepared so it was all planned god had this all planned understand that god has a plan from eternity past before the worlds ever were god had a plan amen second the party is by invitation Uh, look at verse 19 of revelation excuse me revelation 9 i'll try it again revelation 19 verse 9 Revelation 19, verse 9. And the angel said, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are the invited? Well, as you understand other scriptures that apply to this, the other scriptures that apply to this teach us that the ones who respond to the invitation are the ones who are called. The elect. The bride here has responded to the invitation she has made herself ready she wasn't caught unprepared she was looking for the return of this one that had promised himself to her she was ready also when you're studying chapter 19 you realize that not everyone who's at the feast is part of the bride there's an audience just like in song of solomon you've got the groom you've got the bride and there's an audience very well could be that these others include the Old Testament saints who have not yet been resurrected and their souls and spirits will be in heaven with us. And there follows a section where the bridegroom wraps up his work. So you had this ceremony, you've had this betrothal and this presentation and this wedding ceremony and then the bridegroom says, I have a few more things I need to accomplish before we set up our home. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Listen very carefully to this. As you follow through Revelation 19 and 20, Jesus will return to earth with the armies of heaven. Revelation 19, verse 14. You see it? He will defeat the forces of evil, verses 15 and 16. He will cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire, yes, verse 20. And he will bind Satan, and he will set up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. 
<coughs> Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And then in verses 7 and 8, you see the battle of Gog and Magog. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet already were. And they will be tormented day and night. Listen to this. Forever and ever. Justice reigns. Jesus makes things right. And there is a punishment for sin. So today and next week, we'll come to this third point. The party that will have an awesome venue. This party will have an awesome place to have the wedding. And it's actually the bridegroom's home. And it's an awesome home. The venue. Look at Revelation 21. You can read the whole chapter, chapter 1, 21, verses 1 through 27. And this is so good. The holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, as we've read, from God, this venue that the ceremony has been at in heaven that has been prepared. Remember, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He'd been working on it all this time. This venue, this home, this place called heaven comes to this earth look at verses 1 and 2 of revelation 21 then i saw a new heaven and a new earth from the for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as let me encourage you to circle that little word as so many times so much of the context and the understanding of the passage shows up through the little words. <clears throat> Just mark that little word as. We'll come back to that. It's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The word new here is very important. It's not the word uh, naos, which is their word for new as opposed to something that's old. Uh, it's the word Kainos, which means new in a different way, a new quality. It measures not the timelessness of something being new or the fact that it's new on the calendar. Rather, this word new, kainos, is idea of something that's fresh. It's different. It's special. It's one of a kind. It's new. So this new earth, this new heaven and this new earth, it's totally made right. And he's preparing this. It's prepared. It's made ready. He was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. With as much attention as a bride makes in preparing for her wedding day. Look at verse 3, Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This tent that he has set up is with man. And he is, he is residing with them. He's dwelling there. He's setting up his tent to be there. And they will be his people, his family, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the way creation was first made. 
We messed it up in our sinfulness. But God said, I'm going to fix your problem, and I'll do it through this anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, who came to die and took the wrath of God upon himself, and he paid the price, and he offers his righteousness as a gift so that we have a belonging in God's family by faith in him alone. This dwelling place with God because God wants it to be set right. Look at verse 9, Revelation 21, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then beginning in verse 10, Revelation 21, verse 10, John describes being carried away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he has a good look at the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it's speaking of a literal city with the bride living there. A literal city with a bride living there. That's very important. We need to stop and make several important interpretational considerations here. Many, if not most, commentaries that you read today treat this section as an allegory. Not literal, but something we can learn from. It's allegory. So their new Jerusalem isn't real. It's just an idea. In the midst of, of, of what we understand as covenant theology, covenant theology is incredibly strong on soteriology or the, the, the gospel message, the truths of the, of the, of the reality of of how salvation works, what God did for us with that. The areas that we would differ then from covenant theology would be on eschatology or regarding how the church is established and what part the church has. Is it the same as Jerusalem? Is it the same as Israel? No. We are something that God has prepared as a bride for Christ, the church. And another way that we're different than covenant theology is on excuse me, ecclesiology, is eschatology. Eschatology is the things that are in the future. And one of the ways that we are very, very insistent upon is understanding that what God says will happen just as he says. Just like he came the first time, all the prophecies of the Old Testament were not just strange ideas. They were fulfilled exactly as it was said. The future prophecies are going to be filled exactly as it's said. We believe that. In covenant theology, they strongly believe in the gospel, but they're not looking forward to heaven the same way we are. And I think that affects our motivation. That affects our joy. That affects our urgency, our passion for Christ. You see, there's a a bias that leads to them quickly to a conclusion that says this is just an idea, not a literal place or an event, thinking that supporting uh, their view that Revelation is not a literal prophecy, it's a fable. Now, maybe not a fable, but an allegory. There's so many dangers of this line of thinking. Number one, it makes man the interpretive authority rather than God. Our intention in reading the Bible is to find what God intended it to mean to the people that he wrote it to. And we take what God says it means, not what I think it means. 
The danger of allegorical interpretation is it kind of ends up being whatever it might mean to you, and you become the authority. Just like in, in our world of science, man has become the ultimate authority and comes up with these authoritative, authoritative statements of, of evolution or whatever that are taking some facts, some data, and looking at it as their perspective is the only way rather than looking at it from God's perspective. God's word tell us, tells us God's perspective on creation. And God's word tells us God's perspective on the future. So it makes man the interpretive authority rather than God. That's a danger. This is where I really struggle in our day. As I'm, I'm an old man now looking at how things are developing, I'm sensing that most Christians are not filled with hope the hope that God intends for us to have in our Christian life. And your hope of heaven is the foundation of your joy. It's the reason why we can be happy in spite of all the circumstances of our world. And missing out on the, on the anticipation of a literal heaven, a literal New, Jeru a New Jerusalem that's here on earth, it, it destroys the hope that God intends us to have. And I don't think Christians should live that way. We should live with the excitement of a coming home with Jesus. But here's a third reason why I believe it's very dangerous to look at this allegorically rather than literally. It directly contradicts what is spoken in the scriptures. Look at Revelation 22, verse 6. So in this context of this super amazing, wonderful, powerful story about heaven from Revelation 19 all the way through 22 and you've got Jesus coming and dealing with the issues here on earth and then he brings the new heaven here Revelation 22 verse 6 he says to me these words what we've just read these words are trustworthy and true and the Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel notice this to show his servants what must take place what he's talked about will happen just as he says. Literal events and places. So we follow this hermeneutic. We follow a literal, historical, grammatical, contextual view of hermeneutics or how we interpret the scriptures. Literal, we take it as it's intended. To, the words mean what they mean. Historical, we take them as things are rolling out in history just the way it, so it's just one thing after another. Grammatical, words matter. Uh, parts of speech, figures of speech, uh, words matter. And context. Looking at the verses around it, looking at the context of the culture of that day, all of these factors are huge in understanding how to figure out what it is that God intended for us to get from that passage. That's our hermeneutic. Literal, historical, grammatical, and contextual. That's the way we interpret Scripture the best we can time after time. <clears throat> so back in Revelation 21 verse 9, there is a metaphor here. That's a grammatical factor. There's a metaphor let me just consider this contextual note because it's showing this picture of this bride coming and it's calling it the New Jerusalem. There is a metaphor there in many different languages over the centuries. Again, this is a contextual thing. Many different languages over the centuries 
cities and even countries have been identified literal cities with literal people that are living there they call that city or that country her for instance god bless america i try to sing it but i don't have a voice All right god bless america land that i love stand beside her and guide her so speaking of a literal land with people that live there that are very important all the inhabitants of our nation we hear much of russia nowadays and russia is very concerned about the motherland now that's 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 not saying that the land is their mother but it's speaking of a particular piece of property russia and all the people that are of that family that are there so when it's speaking of the bride coming as the new jerusalem it's speaking of metaphorically a people that are in that place revelation 21 verse 9 a literal land with people that are very important this is verified in verse 2 the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared and i said that little word as that's a relative adverb that's an adverb that's describing something it's a figure of speech here with that little word as showing that it's prepared so we get the picture as or the simile as a bride adorned for her husband and the context tells us the emphasis here is on the preparation of this place for something very special how carefully and meticulously this city has been prepared and jesus promised that's what he was going to do i go to prepare a place for you so here's what i'm hoping hoping is happening in your mind as we're looking at these chapters there's a lot there I want to know more. And I hope that you will be motivated this week and the weeks ahead to come back to Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22 and read them again and again, looking for what you can know about this literal place that's a new Jerusalem on a new earth that is prepared for believers, the bride of Christ. So read it, just like my grandson's. And reading this, this wonderful book, this awesome, super fantastic forever party. Read Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22 with the anticipation that a child would read a book about heaven. Just like the best story you can ever read. It's all astounding. Phenomenal. Highly extraordinary. This place we have to look forward to. Because of Jesus. We have the hope of heaven, and no one can ever take that away. So that will be our focus next week. We'll come back to these same verses, but we'll be looking at the rest of chapter 21 at all of these descriptions of this place that's called this New Jerusalem. It's phenomenal. It's astounding. It's better than you could ever imagine. And I want you to note also that this party will last forever. We'll emphasize that again next week as well. And you don't want to miss this forever party. This is what it's all about. And it keeps on getting better. It never gets old. The forever party. 
And notice this. This party should be anticipated. Revelation 22, verse 6. This is revealing what must soon take place. Look at verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed or really happy is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. You keep on watching for it to come true. That word keep, keeping the words of this book, is be attentive, pay attention, <coughs> keep watching for this, <clears throat> and obey what you see. Lord, you said you're coming, <clears throat> and you prepared for us something that's very special. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And as we consider your finished work on the cross, as we consider communion now, we'll do this in remembrance of you until you come. May we anticipate this. May it give us perspective and joy and incredible excitement looking forward to what you've had prepared. God, you do all things well. We believe you. In Jesus' name, amen.